Hello and welcome to episode 34 of Magic and the Other Guy. And Kevin and I are sitting outside my home on the banks of Lake Wiley in Charlotte, North Carolina. And Kevin, I'm very pleased to say there's a little bit of breeze just starting to blow as we hit record because earlier on it was quite humid and yes. hot. I think balmy is the word that we're starting to experience here on the porch. <laughs> Summer is here. Summer is here. Yes, um, and I'm also pleased to say, gentle listener, that you join us, if I stop talking, in great quiet and calmness, because literally two minutes ago, we had a little bit of everything. There was construction noise somewhere over the tree line, the other side of the lake that we can't see, jet skis, yes, wildlife, that's all gone quiet. Boating. Boating. Yeah, yeah. and I think as we, we do these over the summer, I think we're going to have a few, uh, few of the... Uh, recreational noises coming our way yes. but you know at the moment we're good yeah well our policy when we started doing these podcasts was we just press record and do them no matter what and as far as i'm aware the only time i can remember we had to stop down once is when the irrigation system cut in yep <laughs> but we came back back we we, we we solved and re- right. solved and returned right Yes. Oh, oh, anyway. Um, yeah. So I never know what we're talking about. Kevin, you do know what we're talking about. What are we talking about today? Well, this one uh, kind of came up as I was uh, speaking of summer, kind of switch, switching clothes and stuff like that and digging out some shorts and stuff like that. And it kind of got me thinking about clothes and kind of about how we, as kids we were dressed and then we started, right. at some point, we started having an influence on in what we wore. And I thought that'd be interesting. Is there those horrible tales of what your mom dressed you in? And then at what point were some of the first pieces that you're like, all right, I want to start dressing and I want this. And yeah. everybody's wearing these and I have to have this yeah. and that type of thing. You always manage to come up with these fabulous topics. And genuinely, I never know. I don't know why we ever started this. I don't know why, but I don't know what we're going to be talking about. You do manage to find some fantastic topics and dressing being dressed or dressing up as a kid boy oh boy i mean i hate to sound like the monty python four yorkshireman sketch and you don't know how rough you had it we had it really tough and you know we never had anything new but when i the manor house where i grew up in uh, as, a, as a kid over in england um and, and for those new listeners to the podcast are thinking why is magic growing up in a manor house and then certainly hasn't got any money or the family was always short for money we didn't own the manor house my mum and dad worked at the manor house and uh, our accommodation was tied accommodation to the manor house so i had a very fun and in, a, in many ways unique childhood but we, we we weren't landed gentry by any means we were very much uh, working class blue collar family so i'm saying all this because i distinctly remember um at one time, the manor house was owned by a charity. And as part of the charity foundation, we used to have what was known in England at the time as rummage sales or jumble sales. Mm-hmm. Kind of yard sales, maybe? Yeah, in, in, we have the term rummage sale here, not the other, though. Right. But. So a jumble sale or a rummage sale or a, a yard sale would be, any, well, we all know what it is, get rid of all your old stuff. And so we used to always be, throughout the season, throughout the season, throughout the year, we'd, we would be collecting stuff for the next jumble sale that people would donate. And as an extension of that, we had quite a large selection of old suits <laughs> that had been donated, old clothes, old shoes, old everything. And um, 
My, my, not my mum, but my dad would always say, trying to protect the family purse as much as possible, you know. We've got, you know, rooms full of jumble stuff there. We can make a donation to the charity. Go out and find something that'll fit you in the rummage room and wear that. And my brother and I one day, I mean, we didn't want to wear these old clothes. No kids really do, I don't think. But one day we both decided, okay, let's go to the rummage room and, and show dad up by actually wearing some of this old jumble stuff. And we found some old three-piece suits that had been donated <laughs> turn the trousers up and wore them and um, my dad never said a word he seemed perfectly happy that we were just strolling around in these old donated old men type suits you know when we was eight nine ten that sort of age yeah how about you as a kid well, you know, of course, you know, there's that until you get to a certain age, your mom does dress you. And I still look yeah. back, you know, in horror at some of the photos because it was the 70s for me. Mm. And, uh, you know, a lot of the things that happened in the 70s, woof, the striped pants and yeah. the, uh, you know, itchy, itchy uh, turtleneck with it and the big wide white belt. Yes. And a lot of that, you know, but I still remember, you know, wrestling me to, to get dressed for church, you know, and I didn't want to wear any of that, uh, you know, dressy type stuff. You know, it, the, the big collars, the big pointy collars back then. Yes, and the 70s. Boy, oh boy, there were some wacky fashions in the 70s, right? Throughout the world, but most certainly in, in the States, when I used to watch TV, what you guys were up to in the States, and over in England, the same. Yeah, yeah those big white collars. And funny enough, you just talked about parents dressing their kids. I have very few photographs of my childhood, but one that I do have that I've had enlarged, and it hangs in my bedroom, is one of my mum, my brother and me standing together and I must be no older than six or seven years old when I can remember this photograph being taken it was in our little yard part of the manor house with rose bushes behind and I'm standing there along with my brother with my mum in the middle of us and both my brother and, and I are wearing these little I don't even think they were proper ties they were either clip-on ties or they were ties that had a little piece of elastic that went around yeah. the shirt collar you know because that's where but I remember like the, the the tie was only probably about six or seven inches long and it just stopped halfway down down the shirt just looked you know just awful but that was what was going on I mean when you're a kid you wear anything you give it right I haven't really got any choice about it yeah pretty much yeah yeah I, I uh gosh that's right that made me think I, was, I can't remember when I would have worn a tie yeah. I don't think that came up very often if it was, it was a clip-on, but I don't, I don't recall those as much. But this jumped my memory that my sister got married when I was five. You know, you've met my sister. And I was the ring bearer in the, in the wedding, so okay. they, they dressed me in a, you know, a tuxedo. Well, this is a 1974 tuxedo, mm -hmm. so hence the bow tie was made of velvet and the yeah. lapels were velvet. I might have had a ruffly-type shirt. I can't remember. I'd have to look back at the picture. She's, she's got all these pictures. But uh, it was just the miniature version, the mini-me version of what the, the older gents were wearing that day. Well, I guess I look good for the time. Uh, but, for the uh, time, yes. It has definitely evolved. There's, there's much truth to that, that adage that, a bit like classic literature, we said this before, classic literature never goes out of style because it can't be bettered. There's the same thing with apparel, isn't there? The, the classic styles never go out because... They're classics and can't be bettered. <laughs> right, those velvet bow ties, boy, I do remember them, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the ba the basics stay the same. I mean, a man's yeah. suit is a man's suit. The lapel widths are going to change, and the buttons are going to go from three to two, and whichever yes. ones are popular, and that. And but that. You, you could take a, um, a classic 
tuxedo from, let's say, the 1920s, and you could wear it out to a casino today, and yes. it, it, it looked just the same, right? Yeah, hardly ever many, changed. Yeah, many of the staples yeah. Have, yeah. have stood the test of time. The, the fashion changes throughout the decades, but the classic lines never go out yeah. of style. And I, yeah. I would think that you know the first time I kind of had any influence on him, this was you know really young. You want you want like T-shirts with something that you like on them, you yes. know, like Dukes of Hazard or Smokey and the Bandit or right. Star Wars. That's was my earliest things of you know I want to get one of those or something like that. Or maybe you're at Disney and and want to grab a souvenir T-shirt. I remember that being my only like you know I want a, something to represent me. Yes, I I remember the 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 one item of clothing that my school friends and I, we all longed for was a pair of Levi's. 501 Levi's, although I'd still consider, you know, the real Levi's. Yep. But um, they were so expensive. I mean, they were to our family, they were to everyone, all my, my school friends as well. So we could only afford to buy them. So there is no way that my mum and dad were going to be spending money on Levi's. That's not going to happen. Uh -huh. So we'd be wearing Woolworth jeans were very popular. And of course, when you're a kid and you look at a pair of department store, Woolworth is the one that stands out to me. When you look at Woolworth jeans and Levi's, you know, you know you're going to be in trouble if you're wearing Woolworth jeans and someone's got Levi's on you. But there is no way that my parents are going to be spending money for Levi. So the only way that ever happened was through pocket money, through working Saturday and weekend jobs. Yeah. And saving up for them. Yeah. But I remember, um, yeah, again, as a kid, I, I suppose in teenage years, early teenage years, let's start just before, so say 12, 13, 14, somewhere around there. I do remember writing to Levi's UK, and I don't know where the headquarters were based in the UK, and just asking for any posters or literature or anything because you just wanted to have a connection to that sort of stuff. And I remember they did send some stuff back and Wrangler did exactly the same. I wrote wow. to Wrangler and Wrangler sent some posters back. I tell you, a lot of things just happen because somebody has the gumption to ask, you know? Yes, and I do remember there was one in England, I don't know if it was in the States, there was one, I would call it relatively famous, but I do remember having it on my bedroom wall at home. There was one famous Wrangler poster that said something like, I'm only going if I can wear my old Wrangler shirt. And if I remember right, the, the photograph was Buddhist monks walking down the road, mainly dressed in orange, like nearly all of them dressed in those very famous orange robes. Yeah. And there was one guy that had an old Wrangler shirt on along with his orange robe. I just think that was a really cool thing and I've had that on my wall for years. Yeah. That's awesome, yeah. yeah. Now that, I'm, we covered you know, our schooling and stuff like that and I can't I remember we talked about this. Did y'all have uniforms or just wear what you wanted? We, uh, well, as you may imagine, comprehensive education in England was not, was not all that it could have been but we were we were assigned a, a, a dress code. We weren't, we weren't forced to buy uniforms because, again, um, none of us had any money for that sort of stuff. But I do like the idea of uniforms because it instills a sense of equality between everybody. And I get that. I, think that's a, I actually still think that's a good thing. But inevitably, there are some kids that are far better dressed than others. So we would be assigned, for example, you must wear black trousers so we all had black trousers and you, you must wear a grey shirt but of course there are 10,000 different grey shirts available yeah. and uh, we were also assigned a blazer 
a sports coat, if you like, um, which for our school, I believe, was like burgundy red, pur pur dark purple to a burgundy red. But very few people could afford that blazer. I would think 5% of us actually had the blazer. I All never right. did. I never did. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the school tie. Yeah. How about for you guys in the States? I'm thinking not. No, I think I think uh, yeah. definitely I think it only would have applied back then and maybe still just, you know, the private schools. Yes. So definitely not in the in the general county education system. Yeah, it was one of those to me, looking back now with the maturity of the passing years, I think it's a I still as I say, I still believe it's a good idea in principle uh, that it helps to generate that sense of equality between everybody. But it's Unless you're having to buy all that equipment from the same place and being dressed as if you were in the military, <laughs> you know, everyone's making the same stuff. Inevitably, there's such a difference between good quality stuff and not such good quality stuff and more affordable stuff and that. That, that, was, that is what made the difference, I think. And uh, I think these days in, in England, Kevin, the uniforms... Again, we may have talked about this before, but I think the uniforms now are something like it would be... A, I'm, I'm thinking of the school kids I remember seeing in Chippy Norton, Oxfordshire, when I was living there working with Benetton, would be wearing black trousers and like a green sweatshirt with the school crest on the sweatshirt, uh -huh. but no shirt and tie and blazer. I don't remember seeing any of the school kids wearing that sort of stuff. Yeah, I think uh, I think nowadays a lot of times the, the most simple one is, uh, you know, khaki pants or blue pants, maybe in a polo shirt. Yes. You know, of course yeah. you wear something a little warmer in the in the cooler months. So the, back then, I, I remember one of the big things as a little kid was we're going shoe shopping. Yes. We're going shoe shopping. <laughs> what are we getting? We're getting dress shoes. I have no interest and I don't want to go and yeah. please don't drag me and I don't want to, I can do better things with my time. Right. Now, if it's we're going to get tennis shoes, I'm all about You're it. You're all over it. Which I guess were trainers in your yeah. world. Yeah, trainers, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. and I called them tennis shoes yeah. and I guess sneakers just could be yeah. interchanged, but yeah. I was very excited to go get my new set of uh, uh, tennis shoes. Yes. And I still remember one time getting Oh gosh, this was late seventies. Uh, zips, and they—they they, you actually see them advertised on Saturday morning TV. Oh, okay. So you know, I thought I could run faster because I had Zips or right. something like that. And I can't even remember who made them if they were, uh, if they were a sub name of a bigger company or yeah. not. But just anything that was you know athletic issue and felt cushiony and had a little color to it. You know that was exciting to get. Yes. Now I I remember that our trainers. Were, were very basic and there was a very popular even over in England baseball boots that's black canvas baseball type boots that were called baseball shoes they were called okay. but they were black canvas and on the ankles they used to have a little round rubber piece sewn onto the canvas to protect the at your ankle from Injury in similar, some mysterious similar, way, similar to a Converse Chuck Taylor. It's now. very yes, exactly yeah. that. But they were they were at one time certainly in the seventies they were all over the place. And uh, the other great thing, funny enough, a couple of episodes ago we were talking about an English, an old English comedian called Spike Milligan. Remember having a yep. conversation about Spike Milligan? Well, on a, on a YouTube vortex only last night, I ended up watching something from the seventies with Spike Milligan. Um, entertaining a, a crowd of entertainers, curiously enough. It was called An Evening with Spike Milligan. And he referred to an Adidas bag. Yes. An Adidas bag as opposed to Adidas. And I think that's probably one side of the Atlantic to the other. I do remember Adidas shoes 
one of the great, another great, hugely expensive item that if you could afford Adidas trainers with the three stripes, yep. like with the three yep. white stripes down them. Now, I do think the way you're pronouncing it is correct. Is, is it? it? Yes. Because I ended up in a YouTube vortex, like you say, <laughs> okay. sometime in the past year. It's so, this is one of our tangents we get on. And I ended up on a, a site where I think it was, because is that a German company? I have no idea. It was something idea. that was surprising to me that yeah. I didn't even know, maybe Austrian or German. Wouldn't and know. she was going through different brands and saying the yeah. proper way to pronounce things. Oh, okay. And it was like Adidas. Yes. And we, of course, totally butcher it here. And I've only known it as Adidas ever. Yes. So, well, like we, I mean, we've done an entire episode on this. To me, I've, it doesn't matter. <laughs> as long as we know what we're talking about, it's just communication. To yeah. get caught up in different pronunciations of pronunciation means nothing to me. But... But it's, it's funny you mentioned that because yeah. I mean that was specifically one that stuck out. Yeah. She did you know other car brands and different things. But yes. yeah, what was the other one? Nike and Nike. Um, but I do remember Adidas training shoes were highly sought after. Yeah, and that was a big big brand in that era. Yes, uh, and the other thing that um, I was very keen on, and to this day, I still am, and I guess it's just a carryover from being a kid. I was always my mum was always knitting. Uh, a jumper, a sweater. Yeah. Um, and when it was worn out, she would patiently reclaim all the wool from the worn out sweater, roll it into a ball of wool and re-knit it into something else, into another oh, sweater. Good honor. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you had a great skill and great patience, but I do remember like, so it was a constant, my, my sweaters were always in a constant state of flux. Every year I would be given a sweater and I would wear it all the time. Uh, of course, it's on the whole much cooler over in England, and uh, I would I would wear sweaters all the time. But it'd be this one particular sweater. Uh, I remember two. One was a dark navy blue, and one was a sort of olive drab green. Uh, and I quite like wearing the olive drab green sweater in the woods because it, you know, is a little bit of camouflage that allowed you to be able to watch the wildlife yep. more easy. Yeah, that makes uh, sense. But as soon as that was worn out and the cuffs started to, to fray and uh, holes started to appear in the elbows, mum would take that off me, turn it back into a ball of wool and then re-knit it back into the next year's jumper again. And yeah. off we'd go. Yeah. Yeah, my mum was just not a, not a sewer. I mean, she could do the basic mend here and there. Uh, but was definitely not a sewer. My, my sister did some. I heard, heard tales when she was a teenager that she would make some of her own clothes. And yeah. I guess you, know, you did more of that in the you know, late 60s. You well, we, we still could do it now if we, yeah, we wanted to. we very to. well could. Yes, but, absolutely. Yeah, but um, you're right. But it was much more of a thing then. So she was more skilled at that. But uh, So I don't really remember having anything that was homemade. You know, kind of getting back to, you know, you're talking about the sneakers a few minutes ago. The first time I ever really got to pick out and really, I got my first pair of Nikes in junior high. Yeah. And I thought that was the greatest thing, you know, ever. Really going and picking out the ones I wanted. I still remember deciding between those and a pair of kangaroos. And you may not remember kangaroos. They had come out. Yeah, I kind of do remember. the. Oh, I do remember the name. Yes. They come out fairly recently at that time. And they were just known for having a little zipper pouch on the side. Hence the kangaroo name. Yes. So you could put your, you know, a, a dime for a phone call or a key for the house, or I guess you could fold up some money and put in it. And I could see the utility in that. <laughs> My dad's like, You're, that zipper's just going to bust after a while. Just get you these others. Just so. <laughs> Don't be silly. You don't need it. Yes, now I seem to remember the name Kangaroos, which is why I remember the name. Uh, and we've talked about playing sports before. And when Gridiron, American football, started to be introduced through Channel 4 in England 
uh, and I played a little bit of American football for Nottingham. Um, I think kangaroo football shoes were things to get hold of. I, I have that in the back of my mind. It seems a long while ago now, but I'm sure that's where I remember. Yeah, that. maybe. I don't even know if they exist anymore. I haven't heard of them in years. Yes. Probably one, look one, um, we've talked about how mean fr- friends can be, or maybe it's just my friends always seem to be mean. I don't, but I don't know why friends are so mean to each other. But we went through a stage in high school of wanting to wear college scarves of... Oxford or Cambridge. Yeah. You could buy them. They weren't cheap, but you could buy them. But because all colleges, I'm sure it's the same in the States, all colleges had their colours that you would wear as a scarf. Generally bold stripes, wasn't it? Bold stripes, yes. Yeah. And those I'm familiar with it, you know. Kind of like Harry Potter, when you see exactly, Harry Potter, that's when you just see the different houses. With. That's just yeah. where I was going with it, yeah. The different houses had different colours. And uh, colleges in England have, have four I'm going to say four centuries probably have always had these different colours associated with their colleges. Uh, but you could buy college scarves relatively easy. But again, if you bought them new, they weren't cheap. But my friends started to wear college scarves from different universities on Oxford and Cambridge just for fun. And I thought, this is a really cool, really cool thing. So I started to save up my pocket money to to buy one. And uh, when the day came that I actually had enough to go and buy a college scarf, and I can't remember what college it was now, it's certainly one from Oxford, I seem to remember. I got the college scarf and proudly wore it on the school bus going into high school and got to high school and all my friends had immediately stopped wearing their scarves just just because I'd just because I'd been able to afford to wear one. Now oh, though, gosh. now everyone was stop had stopped wearing them, you know. So I just carried I just proudly carried on wearing my Good for you. Yeah, for the next few years. But I don't know what is it about friends where you want to try and be so mean to one another. It's, no. a, it's a weird thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, the next the next thing I recall, this was kind of, you know, uh, fledgling out of out of junior high heading into high school and the checkerboard vans the, like, oh yes, like from Fast yeah. Times Ridge Mile High. Yes, you know that 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 became the the thing, and it actually was not only fashion for us; it was kind of utilitarian because they are great skateboard shoes. Yeah, and actually they're great BMX shoes. They're just that soft uh, that soft rubber waffle pattern they have on the bottom. Yeah. And you really and well. you roll into that, weren't you? That was yeah. your world. Yeah, I was coming probably out of the BMX world and starting to skateboard, which we've covered numerous times. So I definitely use them for a purpose, but they're also the style. Yeah. So I end up wearing Vans. From that point on, throughout high school, I went from the checkerboard slip-ons. I had the checkerboard lace, and then uh, then the high tops. Now, they didn't have any checks on the the pair I got didn't, uh, and I had two two pairs of those. So over four years, I think I had four pair. But that's not too bad for canvas-based shoes to make them last that long with all we were doing in them. Yeah, you know, skateboarding is rough on shoes, and and they they survived pretty darn good. I was easy on shoes for some reason. My friend at school, in our very early days at school, so. I, when we were six, seven, eight, nine, that sort of era, one of my school chums, he had a pair of shoes from Clarks. Clarks over in the States? Oh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah, they're still very popular. Yeah. And the shoes were called, they were black shoes, which were regulation. Everybody at school had to wear black shoes. And they were called Clarks Trekkers. Does that name ring a bell? I'm sure that's a model of they theirs. Were, that... They were the coolest shoes. And I'll tell you why, is because on the sole of the shoe were animal footprints. So embossed into them. So when you walk through mud, they would leave animal tracks there. These were like the coolest things ever. Yeah. Yeah, Trekkers. But what made them even more exciting, uh, and 
my friend became the envy of the whole school for having these clocks, trekkers, set into the heel of the shoe was a little compass. So if you were, you know, seemingly out in the wild and completely lost when you were trekking after animals and you were comparing your the, the marks that your trekker shoes were leaving, but of course they were semi-dress uh, shoes, so I don't know why you'd be wearing them in the woods. But anyway, you could take your shoe off and there you had a compass to be able to guide yourself out of the that, forest. That is a new one on me. I've never heard yeah, of the... I tell you, yeah. Compass survival of the shoe. This was, the, they were the coolest shoes I've ever seen. Yeah, maybe they still exist. I don't know. I mean, I know Clark's. We'll have to look them up, you know. Again, we, we often uh, reference things that need to be looked up, and that's one of them. <laughs> that's right, yeah. yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, you know, once you get to high school, then you really start, you know, picking pretty much everything out. And, and I, I, my influence was, again, we were in Florida, and I was hanging with the surfers and the skaters, and that was our group. So right. I tended to lean toward that. So I ended up shopping at all the uh, surf shops for my clothes. Yes. And it's funny, you mentioned jeans earlier. For some reason, I went through this spell where from the beginning of high school and maybe toward the end of of junior high, I didn't even have a pair of jeans until I took a job in my junior year that needed you to wear them. Oh, really? So I finally got it. I was wearing like these surfer brand pants. They were like cotton pants or whatever from these different surfing companies yeah so that's what i had so we never had that culture in england i mean maybe if you lived uh, on the coast and most certainly down in devon and cornwall i guess would be the coast where you'd want to go surfing because everywhere else would be rather cold i mean the 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 oceans around cornwall are pretty cold in the south of england i imagine but um yeah we never so we never really had that culture but there's no doubt that the, the, it was always Levi's and Wranglers. Levi's and Wranglers were the things that we wanted to get hold of. But I used to spend so, so much of the time as a kid in the woods anyway that we had, a, we had a really nice, good army surplus store quite close to where we were. And I think these guys are still in business, although they may have um, modernized themselves over a period of time. Uh, it was a company called Millets. And Millets, I think, originally were army and navy surplus and then they started to sell new clothes and then they started to sell branded camping equipment and their image kind of changed and become more sophisticated yeah. but um as kids we could go in there a little bit like the rummage room at my manor house where i grew up and we could find stuff that was almost dirt cheap and one thing i do remember that um talking about the army and navy surplus store almost all of my school friends our rucksacks and bags that we would have, they were all ex-army stuff from the Army and Navy store. But that was just a, not really because they were cheap, although they were that, that was certainly a factor, but that was a, that became kind of a fashion thing. Yeah. An old Army bag would, and... Uh, yeah, I can certainly do that. Yes, and uh, one of my friends whose dad was in the RAF, the Royal Air Force, and not in the Army, uh, he managed to find a blue RAF color, because that's blue is the color of the Air Force over in England, well, pretty much everywhere, I guess. Um, so he had a, he had an RAF bag, and um, my dad was in the Army, so I had a green Army bag. But, yeah, uh, ex-Army Navy surplus stuff, bags were very popular. Yeah, I can see that, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I remember, you know, again, being in the 80s and just every the, you know, there's trends there with every decade, but, you know, this was the trend of parachute pants, which I never had any, right. but, but a lot of my friends did. You know, I remember that being a big thing. And there's these oddball, you know, companies that came along and, and had clothing that just became, you never know what's going to become this huge thing. Yes. And for a very, it wasn't very long, we had uh, Coca-Cola clothes were a big deal. 
They put out a line of clothes. It was like polo shirts and, and yeah. rugby shirts and jeans, and it was a big thing for not a long time, but so it was. I'm going to guess the answer to my question before I ask it is yes, don't be stupid, but is this because of a TV show? Somebody must have been on the TV wearing this and no, that's the way to go? No, with Coca-Cola, I don't remember that. Oh, and it's okay. like just certain brands come along. I remember there was a brand that the girls wore called Outback Red. That was a big thing. It's so funny. I'm sure some, you know, maybe listening that went to high school with me, like, well, I remember that. But, you know, we had that. Uh, you know, there was, again, from, from our group, there was always the surf brands, you know, Ocean yeah. Pacific, Lightning Bolts, right. uh, Quicksilver, you know, that kind of stuff. And Quicksilver, then, like, yes, I do remember. I, I remember, yeah. Funny enough, you're thinking about Quicksilver and the surfing brands, and, and I was saying, well, we never really used to have that in England. But during my Benetton days, I know this is much later in life, um, when my, uh, I'm going to say school friends, when my work friends and I would finish the season in Adelaide and we would sometimes go up to uh, Queensland around the Barrier Reef to dive in, in Australia, there was a lot of um, Quicksilver-type clothes being sold. And I do remember, I think their sizing system, I don't know if it's Quicksilver, forgive me if I've got the brand wrong here with their sizing, but they, they were working on Elvis sizes. So they, they, were, they were sizing their clothes in on how... Elvis physically changed throughout his life, so it would be Elvis '77 was uh, a very was a very large size, so you can yes. work it out from that. But I always thought that was a really cool website. I mean, I, I've never heard of that, but it yes. might be them. Yeah, I mean, well, it's, fun. it's a fun way of looking yeah, at it. Yeah, I, I do remember seeing this in Queensland. I think that's very funny. I like. Well, it's funny. Idea. I mean, uh, I'm glad you brought up Benetton. That was a big clothing brand, you know, in the states yeah. in the '80s, which I think was mostly for women and girls. I don't remember yes, the guys really, yeah. they're really offering anything that the guys wore. Well, uh, yes, t-shirts and polo shirts. I mean, they would have a whole full store. Right, yeah. At the mall, and, uh, you know. <clears throat> We were very fortunate uh, because of our very close connection to the Benetton family. In fact, you know, we often used to see the family would come over to the factory. Uh, we, were, we were, all the employees of Benetton Formula were issued discount cards for the Benetton stores yeah, worldwide. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but inevitably, whenever we went towards a Benetton store to buy something, these cars would be clo closely scrutinized by the management and staff. And what are these cars? We've never, <laughs> we've never heard of them. Who are, who are you with? You know, but we did eventually get it to work and we would get the discount. But um, yes, it was a nice gesture from Benetton to do that for us. Yeah. Yeah, Benetton, very, I, I'm sure they're still in business, though. I must say, I haven't really seen many Benetton stores around for the last few years. But during the 80s and into the 90s, they were, they were everywhere. Yeah. yeah I, I think, I think they probably had a higher presence in Europe than they did in the States, I mean, yeah. always. But, uh, yeah, I definitely remember in the 80s, like I say, a lot of the, the girls were, were wearing the Benetton. Yes, I do always remember, which always struck me as very... Um, it's a wonderful story, if true, and I have no reason to believe it's not true, but the story that we were told with Luciano Benetton, who, who, was the, uh, who is still the figurehead of the Benetton family, started his business. We talked about my mum knitting jumper sweaters and then re-knitting them when they wore, wore out. Uh, but seemingly Luciano's mother or his grandmother started to knit sweaters in Italy, and he would cycle off on his bicycle and start to sell the jumpers and sweaters that way from his bicycle and there you go that's where that's how empires begin that's uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. What, going back i think uh you know ralph lauren started with just ties i think the whole polo empire yeah. began with uh, him selling ties 
a vision and hard work. I was always incredibly impressed with the way Benetton worked and operated, certainly with the race team. They were always very friendly. They would give us Christmas presents every year. Even if it was just um, a cake at Christmas time or something, every member of the staff would get a cake from the Benetton family. Uh, and if they were ever at the racetrack, they would be walking around the garage and would come up and chat and shake hands and just want to talk. They were, they were very good. Very nice. And I do remember when I f had my first book published, Life in the Fast Lane, uh, that the Benetton family sent me a letter, handwritten letter of congratulations. And uh, it actually arrived in 95 at Silverstone. And one of the media staff walked into, the, into our pits at Silverstone when we were working on the cars. And she said, um, I have a letter here for you, Steve, and it's, it's from the Benetton family. And there was like complete, <laughs> complete silence. <laughs> and it descended on the pits. I thought, oh, this is it. Every head turned yeah, right. up and looked your way. <laughs> what have I done now? You know, I'm about to be released from duties. And, uh, but no, it wasn't that at all. I still have that letter to this day. It was a wonderful handwritten letter from the Benetton family saying, many congratulations on having Life in the Fast Lane published, and if we can ever do anything to help, we're here to support you. Yeah. Yeah. So well, they were, it's, they probably, were it's probably archived with the initial letter that was all chomped up by the Absolutely, by the yes. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, yeah. Uh, hide his teeth marks were all over my acceptance letter from Nigel Stepney when I was accepted into the ranks of Benetton, so I still have that, and I, and I still have a letter from, from Benetton. Yeah, they were, they were a nice company to work for. There was no sort of, it's something I'm very familiar with now in the States, because the States is very, very like that. There's, there's very little snobbery that I see when I'm working with NBC or with Fox Television or whatever it would be, you know, everyone's very friendly. And uh, it's not always like that in England for sure, but working with Benetton, although an Italian company, we were based in England, but they were, they were good. They were a good company to work for. Very good. Yeah. Well, we're getting toward, uh, toward our time as, as usual. Are we really? Yeah, believe it or not. Wow. I don't know how you pick these subjects, but you always manage to find subjects that get us, and we almost stayed on target there, didn't we? Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> And I'll tell you another thing. I meant Our to... angle of tangent wasn't as that's deep right. this time. So That's right. Um, gentle listener, if you ever have any comments about what we talk about, and uh, Kevin, you said earlier on, you know, folks out there remember that brand. Oh, yes, I remember that brand. Do write in. Do tell us about it. And we know you, we know you enjoy sharing your memories with us because we see it on Twitter and also through the emails that come into com. Uh, and the email for that is contact at Matchett and the other guy. That is correct. correct. Yeah. By, by all means, do write in and um, and we do read them. I'll tell you why we do read them. I mean, we're not absolutely, let's be honest, we're not inundated with hundreds of thousands of people writing into us. So if we get 10, ten folks writing and want to. We haven't hired a media something. staff yet. <laughs> we do enjoy, we do enjoy that interaction with you. That's. Again, that's the whole reason for doing these podcasts was to create that sort of little community feeling. Tell us your stories about your favorite piece of um, apparel. Well, we better sign off then, aren't we? I think so. Yeah. Until next time, gentle listener, thanks for joining us, and uh, bye-bye. We'll see you then. Yeah.